Hello, and welcome to the Break the Twitch podcast on minimizing distractions and doing more of what matters through minimalism, habits, and creativity. I'm your host, Anthony Angaro. In this episode, I sit down with Thompson Adarin Comey. He's an entrepreneur and the founder of two startups, Nice Healthcare and Relate. We talk about everything from his path to entrepreneurship, managing risks, minimalism, life with kids, and how to do the most efficient workout and ones that we both really enjoy. Thompson shares how his desire for freedom, changing the world, and revenge have motivated him to take on the $3.5 trillion healthcare industry. In addition, we discuss how small, intentional choices can add up to big results over time in lifestyle, exercise, diet, and more. This conversation will inspire you to make some intentional choices in your life. I learned a lot and had several of my own revelations during this discussion, and I'm sure that you're going to enjoy it as well. And of course, this podcast is brought to you both ad and sponsor-free by the Break the Twitch member community, something I'd love to invite you to join as well. Members get monthly audio courses, access to a private member-only Slack channel, and even a 20-minute one-on-one welcome call with me so I can show you around the place and get to know you a bit. Join this amazing intentional living-focused online community. Find out more at breakthetwitch.com slash community. But for now, let's start the show. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here. It's been a couple of years since we've uh, met up, but you've been up to some pretty fascinating and awesome things uh, since then and even before then. Yeah. Yeah, you've been keeping busy. Uh, yeah, you can say that. <laughs> so um, I know you've been on the entrepreneurship path for a long time. Uh, we met, in fact, the very first time at Startup Weekend, Yeah, which was now what seems like an eternity ago mm-hmm. maybe 2013 ish 2012 but i think you were actually doing a health based startup at startup weekend yeah was, yeah what was that it was uh gosh i'm trying to think what it was i think nicole muzzy you know had pulled a group together so it wasn't my idea or project mm-hmm. i joined a team you know at startup weekend and it was a there was something around mental health, but not directly mental health. It was for mental health providers. You know, I think the team stuck together after a while to try and make it a go. I kind of, I went my own way, you know, to work on my own thing, you know, but it, it was a lot of fun, you know, kind of rapidly prototyping that thing. And I still think that there's a business case for it even today. Definitely. I, I, I remember that now. And uh, at the time, for context, I was working on a startup in Startup Weekend called, I think it was either Call Your Mom. Or call your auntie. Mm, I feel like I remember <laughs> you. Remember yeah, uh-huh. and uh, it it was to me a very cool thing that sort of ties into what I do now, which is removing maybe being more intentional about social media and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so having an app that you just call up the people you haven't talked to in a while. Yes, uh, but it didn't really go anywhere, and uh, I don't know if our team really even got anything out of that working out of it or anything. So, oh, you you guys did. You, we surely did. 
where, you know, oh, I mean, in terms of experience and learning, I'm sure maybe that was the takeaway. But yeah. uh, there was no working product after oh, that, okay. that's for sure. Yeah. Interesting. So h- how did you get into entrepreneurship or what was the appeal for you? Would it start early on? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm fortunate that my family is uh, made up of entrepreneurs. You know, so I grew up uh, with parents that own their own business. You know, I don't I don't remember my parents working for someone else. Hmm. Like I can't visualize it. I know they did, you know, so they started their business when I was fairly young, you know, so for me, you know, owning your own business was normal or is normal, you know, and getting another, a regular job was probably more abnormal, you know, or a regular job, I should say a job, you know, uh, where you're not the owner of the company. You know, so I would say that's where the initial ideas came from. And so it was already normalized for me from that standpoint. So I, I didn't view it, my family didn't view it as taking this big risk or this big innovative thing. And like, oh, you're, you're so amazing and so courageous. Like, no, it's just the normal way of, you know, making a living, you know, but still yet, I still went and got a job after I graduated um, from the University of Minnesota. And uh, I did work at the family company, you know, for some time, you know, for probably for about four or five years. You know, then I started getting jobs outside. And it was just in working in the corporate environment that I started becoming a little bit dissatisfied mm-hmm. with uh, the way things were structured, you know, from a economic standpoint to a business process standpoint to a risk and reward standpoint. And then uh, I went back to school, you know, again, and realized that I didn't want to just get another degree just to go get another job. You know, that I needed to move up my timeline, you know, for starting my own company. Because I always plan on starting my own company. It's just when was the question. Mm. You know, so 2009 is when I kind of in earnest started working my own company full time. So you said you didn't want to go back just to get another job after. What did you go back to school for? Yeah, so and just for a little bit of context. So I studied economics and statistics and I got a master's degree in statistics, you know, and worked in that field, you know, for some time. Uh, quickly kind of moved out of just an analyst role into more leadership roles. And then I went to get my MBA at the Carlson School, you know, thinking that I would stay within the business side of things, you know, but kind of climb the corporate ladder, do the whole thing, you know, then maybe start my own company, you know, when I'm like 50, you know, and, you know, ready, done all I can in the corporate world. But I realized I didn't want to spend my days, you know, between the ages of, you know, 20 something and 50 just slaving away in corporate you know for something I may or may not believe in to never see my family and never have time to invest in my hobbies so went to business school and you know it it just opened my eyes very quickly like in the first couple of weeks it wasn't like I it wasn't like I was one year in and I was like oh no I should start a company it was the first week and I was like oh no I shouldn't come here and go back to work. Like I should start my own company. Okay, so you said that it opened your eyes. In what way? Describe that experience for me. Uh, what was that like when you got there and had that sensation? What happened was I, I applied like very short notice. You know, because I wasn't planning on going back to business school. I just kind of decided I should go back to business school. It was a good idea, and then I did it. You know, and in the summer, in a couple months leading up to school starting, I asked for the alumni database. And I asked it for because I want to start networking with alumni, you know, to get to know them and why they chose the school and what they're doing after to see what I can learn and glean from their experiences. And so I spent, you know, the summer, you know, doing all these meetings with top executives at all the local, 
you know, Fortune, you know, 100 companies and even some smaller companies on the finance side, I started noticing something. They they were all kind of the same. You know, they're all men, you know, unfortunately, but they were all men at the time. This is 2009, you know, and they all they all liked their job. Like no one would say anything bad about their job. And but I would ask them questions like, well, how did you get here? You know, and nobody knew how they got there. It was it was totally it was just totally I don't I don't know how I got here I just worked hard and I just got here and I was like oh great it doesn't help me it doesn't help someone like me you know it's, life's not just gonna happen you know you know for me and so that was just like one an issue that I had with it and then you know they all were like traveling all the time they're working these crazy hours and you know I was like well how do you have time to like spend time with your partner your spouse your kids you know, and all this kind of stuff. I was like, there's, just, there's only 24 hours in the day, you know, and if you're sleeping for this much and so on and so forth. Uh, and I just started realizing that's not, that's not the life that I wanted, you know. And then finally I was just like, well, I know why you would like this job. Why would, why would someone like a job like that? Well, if you're getting paid, you know, $300,000 or more a year and everybody smiles at you because you have the title and all you do is go to meetings and make an occasional decision, you know, uh, maybe probably only like one or two really critical decisions per year. I realized that I wouldn't like that. You know, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something that would make a difference. I wanted to do something that would challenge me. I wanted to do something that would create wealth, you know, and going a corporate route and always my future being tied to someone's opinion of me and evaluation of me didn't sit well with me. Mm. I'm much more comfortable with the market judging me you know, and that being the deciding factor, or the, the the thing, you know, that dictates how far and how fast I go. To me, I'm hearing it, it sounded like you chose yourself. Yep. And and that's a that's a powerful thing. There's the James Altucher book, uh, Choose Yourself, mm-hmm. and it, it, everything you're saying to me is like, oh wow, you know, it's it's uh, it's an incredible thing to to make that decision, especially when it it, it sounds like you have you have the ability to have that yeah i mean you, you no, do, I, right? I most certainly did yeah, yeah of course yeah. and and you very much were in that route it sounds like mm-hmm. also and then you made a conscious decision to opt out and, yes and opt into something else yes was there a conversation that happened with your parents like you, like you said or with your family or or your partner uh was there something that happened in you said there wasn't really a lot of resistance with that because I know that's a big thing for people sometimes is I'm going the untraditional route. Yeah. Yeah. The I mean, what was more untraditional was quitting my job and going to school full time again mm. for a second master's degree, you know, because that's kind of that's a little unusual. You mm. know, like, why would you do that? You know, and I, I was you know, I was in a I was my goal was to like become a manager, you know, at the, my, my previous company that I was at before business school, you know, and I did, I got promoted three times in like a year, you know, and I was doing just fine, you know, so, you know, to leave that all behind and get like a second master's degree was kind of weird versus like, why don't you go get a PhD, Mm. you know, it's kind of like the more usual route, you know, so that was, um, I already overcame that, right, you know, my wife was very supportive, Hannah, she's been very supportive and for her, she's not afraid of, you know, entrepreneurship and the risk and because, you know, one of the reasons why I guess we're kindred spirits is we're not attached to material things. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't fear, you know, the the loss 
you know, of physical items. And that's really the only risk in this country, you know, when you start your own company. There's the loss of things that you can touch and feel and grind between your teeth. And we don't need those things because we can get them back if we so desired. I could go get a job, work for a couple of years, and I'd be back with a car payment, a mortgage, you know, and all that's, you know, the trappings of American life. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, very supportive. My parents, you know, this, this is very natural. Like, he's starting a company. Of course, he's starting a company. Like, that makes perfect sense. You know, that it wasn't like a, even a discussion, really. Okay, so we've, we've got to dig into this because you talked about materialism and the idea of that's all there is to lose uh, in this context, right? Mm-hmm. Is this something you've always just believed inherently? Is this something you came into there was was there a moment that you discovered the temporary nature of the of just excess stuff uh, i i can't point to a moment you know or to an event i think it was just an understanding my wife likes to joke that if i never met her and i never got married i'd probably be uh a monk in the desert, wow. you know, in Egypt, living in a cave, <laughs> you know, commuting with the universe. You know, that's just the that's just where I tend towards, you know, on a personality scale. Hmm. And so I just don't care. I mean, yeah, I like stuff, you know, but there's it's usually tied to some passion of mine. Like I like music, so therefore I like high quality sound. So I don't buy cheap speakers, you know. And uh, you know, I'm at a stage in my life where uh, the safety of my family on the road is of paramount, you know, importance to me, as well as being a good steward of the earth. So, you know, I spent more on a car than I would, you know, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, to get a car that fits those modes. So it's not that I don't, you know, buy into those things, but I, I just don't care. Like, I wear the same thing every day, pretty much. You know, it's black. It's either a sports coat and a tie, you know, or a black hoodie and jeans. Uh, my wife is my best friend, you know, so I already have everything that I need. I don't, I don't need any more friends. I don't need any more acquaintances. I don't need a bigger network. You know, I got her. I got two healthy sons. They don't have any health problems, you know. So the older I get, I just have been accumulating these things that really matter, you know, and there's no startup that can give or take those things away from me. And then there's just a practical issue, right? Like, like people, for me and my wife, we like just walk through it. Like, okay, let's suppose that we uh, we use our 401k, you know, to start my first company, which didn't work out. You know, what's the impact? Well, we don't have a 401k. Like, that's the impact. You know, uh, what's the impact if we can't make a house payment? Well, it takes like a year to kick someone out of a house in the state because of the cold weather. You know, in a year, you could probably figure something out, you know, or and say a year goes by and you can't. Well, then you move in with your parents you know, with your kids, like what's, there's plenty of people that do that because they have to, and there's people that do that because they want to, you know, um, we've been a one car family since we've been married for 14 years, and uh, we think it instills discipline that forces collaboration and communication, you know, and it's just better for the environment because then you're more likely to walk, bike, or take the bus, you know, if the other person like has to, you know, use a car for something. It's little choices that turn into habits that you know, separate you from an unnatural longing and attachment to physical things. Well said. (laughs) Well said. We also have one car. We've done that since we got married as well. Uh, We've always maneuvered our lives in in a way that 
where it would be probably more convenient in some circumstances, but Amy ended up taking the light rail to work for a year mm -hmm. instead of, you know, just commuting and parking. These, uh, those subtle changes, I really liked what you said about just the little changes that become the habits we make. Uh, yeah. Those little things totally add up yep. and become something new and, and something different, and it becomes this thing, at least in, in our own lives, we've seen that too. It, it's just the, the small choices yes. to buy a smaller house, yes, to stay in the city. Yep, to same thing. Just try to make ourselves more accessible to public transit and the yes. things that have allowed us to dive into entrepreneurship. Yes. Because we, we made certain choices about each thing along the way. And we have a 2009 Subaru that's paid off and, you know, yeah. it, it, it still four wheel drive still works great, yeah. you know, yeah. it, uh, for the winter and everything here. And, and, uh, increasingly, I still feel like I have so much further to go along this path of these small intentional yes. choices. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd love to know what, if you can kind of think through some of those or, or explain some of those choices, what do you see as the landscape of of some of those things you named some already but yeah you know we've made the same choices we've chosen to stay in the city you know so we're in northeast and you know we're less than a mile outside of downtown because that's where a lot of business transacts for me you know um my wife owns a business you know and it's uh it has a bricks and mortar you know um you know component to it so it's half a mile from our house you know, we could get better places where there's more clientele and there's more customers, more traffic, but that wouldn't fit our life. You know, uh, we've chosen to, we've, uh, we always decided that from the beginning, we didn't want to put our kids in daycare, mm. you know, so we have two sons. And so the first son, Enoch, he, my wife stayed home with him, you know, and he went to, you know, day or not daycare, but preschool, you know, a couple hours a week. You know, but my wife stayed home with him. She did a little consulting on the side, you know, while I was working on my company. So I had to, so, and that was very stressful, you know, to kind of force that simplicity in our lives, you know, where single income, but the single income is someone starting a company from scratch, you know, and it's not like starting a coffee shop or a restaurant where it's like this known quantity. It was like this thing that no one had heard of, you know, so we made that decision, um, you know, our kids are in public school, a lot of our friends, you know, start off in the city, you know, and then they have kids, the kids get a couple years older, and they move out of the city, you know, go to private school, you know, or get bigger house, more yard, you know, we've chosen to stay small that way. Um, there's this one book that my wife and I were listening to many years ago, and basically one of the theses of the first couple chapters was kind of this American obsession with, like, fixing everything. And this, so this guy was dying. He was terminal, you know, and they had this nice minivan and it got, eventually got this big dent in the door. Like someone just dented it really bad. And so his whole world perspective changed because he was terminal and his gut reaction was like, oh, we got to go fix that door. Like we'll fix it, you know, but they had a big deductible and insurance, all this kind of stuff. But he's like, wait a minute, like I'm going to be dead in a year. You know, what, what does a dent in the door, you know, matter? The car still works. You know, it has not impacted its utility, even an iota, you know, and he thought to himself that he doesn't know if he would have came to that conclusion if he had, was in a different situation, but he thinks that he should come to that conclusion. Hmm. You know, so for us, there's just been like things that, like our house, there's like 10 million things that you could fix in our 1928, you know, house, you know, in Northeast Minneapolis. 
and we could we could just plow all of our income and fix it make everything perfect make everything shiny you know have all the best furniture and everything and we've just chosen you know not to do that you know we don't have a cabin you know we don't have a vacation home you know we don't we don't have all these things and our focus has really been on creating cash flow like how do you create cash flow that you don't have to like be working in it you know every day and how do you minimize my wife and I oftentimes stand in our house and just look around you know and we're like what can we get out of here like, what can we just get rid of even if it's something that we use you know, we say we don't use it very often like how do we get it out of here you know, I've been using the tool library more you know um, in Minneapolis versus you know buying your own tools you know we've tried to share things with our neighbors things that make sense versus buying them you know and it's really kind of uh, sharing I think is probably one key thing that you can do to reduce uh, your footprint and I don't know I mean I, we have this conversation so much like all the time I'm sure we could think of like so many things but it's interesting even digitally like the one of the problem with digital is it doesn't take up any physical space you know but it takes up space in your mind and it takes up space like in your file system in your digital file system and so we apply the same theory there you know like why are we saving these things you know or if we're going to save them at least organize it in a way so it's not just like unruly you know and crazy and Here's one for parents. Your kid goes to school and every day they come back with, you know, like a tree's worth of paper. <laughs> you know, some of the stuff, it's artwork, crafts, some of it's school announcements. And we've just gotten really good at en encouraging our son to throw some stuff away. Mm. Like, you just throw it away. You know, you're going to be producing things for the next, you know, 12 years. You know, uh, we take pictures of some of it, you know, things that we do. So I would say that that's some of the you know, top of mind stuff right now. Yeah. Okay, I have to tackle this in multiple parts now. <laughs> okay, so for one, you've just created this image in my mind uh, of risk, and you've just fundamentally changed my perspective and given me a new idea around this, uh, which is the idea of mitigating risk. I think risk is commonly associated with the idea of losing a job, mm -hmm. uh, losing income maybe, or or having uh, an accident or something that's uncontrollable, yes. uh, things that other people control or the world and the, the ether controls as mitigating risk, trying yeah. to manage those things. Uh -huh. But what I'm hearing from you is basically that, uh, and I, I believe this as well, I mean, we've followed a very similar pursuit in our 1950s home where we, we spent the last few months making this space into what it is now, but the rest of our home is, you know, pretty much what it has been, we painted some things, but there's yeah. a lot of things that we could do to make it look like a certain thing in mm -hmm. a magazine or make it look yes. like something supposed to look. Correct. Or we get into this a lot with the minimalism space is what minimalism is supposed to look like. Yes. You have big windows and brick walls and timber mm -hmm. in, in your place and open airy tea on a white, do they cover? It's like, how does that happen? I don't yeah. think that actually happens. <laughs> no. This seems like an art form more than anything. Yes. Um, but what I'm hearing and now feeling is is um, risk in the things you have around you and the, the, the experiences and the, like the the stuff you curate in your life, the car with the payment, the, the, the house that's out of the city, then the private tuition and things mm -hmm. is the risk. Yes. And it's the risk you can control mm -hmm. largely. Yes. And and mitigating risk is making these choices around 
fixing around trying to keep up with the Joneses. Obviously, there's functional fixing, right? But the idea of like this stuff, yeah. it's easy to get lost in that stuff. It is. It's so easy. I mean, I, I'm not a handy person by any means. You know, uh, my 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 sword is an Excel spreadsheet, you know, and, uh, you know, starting companies. But I've been fixing stuff more myself, you know, but there's always some utility, you know, around it. like our door, like our door handles are original on the house. And one of the back door handles just it wasn't going to last any longer. You know, so I finally uh, installed a new electronic doorknob with the the keypad and everything. It's smart. It's connected to smart things and everything. You know, and that was like a big deal for me, like because, like normally we would not spend that kind of money like on our house. You know, it was an expensive. I mean, I, I, I'm totally transparent. I think the doorknob, Home Depot. I think it was like two hundred dollars, like a two hundred dollar doorknob. You know, uh, but one of my my previous co-founder in the last company, one thing that he taught me, you know, is that one thing that you should couple with minimalism and a detachment from the material things is that the things you do get should be high quality. You know, they should be high quality and you should understand the sourcing, you know, so that your desire to save money isn't, you know, basically impoverishing some person halfway around the world that you may never meet. You know, so we've definitely been balancing uh, those two things uh, within our household, you know, but, and, but, but being very selective, you know, about those things and making sure they don't increase our risk, you know, as well. Cause what we don't want is our, our family burn rate to get to a rate, to a level that's difficult to fill, you know, as long as we keep that personal household burn rate, you know, at a reasonable level, there's like, there's nothing that can stop us. Either our businesses will pay our bills or we can do some consulting that will pay the bills or we will, go get a job you know that would pay the bills it's all about that personal burn rate yeah it's freedom beyond yeah. that yeah it is i've met some people now you are one of them as well that had this sort of drive within them you know the culture is pulling in one way and you made that choice you just put a stop to it like yeah it's always fascinating to me where that comes from that that inner that inner drive yeah i don't know where it came from i mean I mean, part of it, you could say, is faith-based. You know, I was raised Protestant, Christian, you know, with all of the, you know, frameworks and philosophies around that, you know, so that that framework is, you know, aligned with Christianity. But oftentimes you see people that call themselves Protestants or Christians are the most materialistic people you've ever met. You know, they're the ones with the biggest houses and biggest yards and biggest cars and three cabins, you know, the, all, all the stuff. You know, so I, I wouldn't say that is enough to draw someone in that direction. And I'm also not saying it's wrong. Like some people just like stuff. Like they like buying things and shiny things and they like flying all over the place. Like I, I would be a monk in a different life. You know, I wouldn't have anything and I would be by myself, you know, trying to attain some higher level of existence. That's just where I'm at. And that's just my natural tendency. I'm... I'm perfectly comfortable and happy being still. Like I don't require new experiences, whether it's a thing or a place, you know, or anything. Like I have my favorite foods and I could eat those every day. I write music and I like to write uh, fiction and I could like lose myself in those activities, you know, for months, years. 
you know, and it, to me, it would feel like I was traveling through the universe, if anything, you know, without meeting another soul. Um, I know that's not healthy to do, and I know that the world needs everybody to kind of look out for the people around them. So that's why I don't completely let myself go in the natural direction that I would go. Um, but I think that for me, it's, it is that kind of, uh, not kind of, it's that contentedness and that, that I don't have that drive, you know, to like go on trips. Like if it wasn't for my wife, I probably wouldn't go on any trips. You know, she likes to go on trips. She likes new experiences. So that's how that comes into my life and it's good. It enriches me. Um, some of the stuff, Hannah, if you're listening to this, some of that, some, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> some of that stuff is wacky, but, um, you know, but for the most part, it's very enriching and being with her and having her just be so, you know, happy and alive, you know, is, is the, is payment enough, you know, for me, as far as I'm concerned. How do you stay motivated while also maintaining a sense of contentedness? Uh, cause I think that's what so many of us are looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I was talking to someone that wanted to network with me, and I was I was telling him my interpretation of the words satisfied and content, and for me they're different. I mean, if you look them up, there's not much of a difference between satisfied and content, you know. But for me, um, semantically, like satisfied is like you you don't need any more, you know, you don't need any more progress, you know, per se. That's satisfied. You know, whereas content is more about, uh, it's more about the acknowledging your temporal location, you know, and saying, I'm okay to be here. Like, you know, you're not going to be there forever, but you're okay to be there, you know, and it's, and it's a, to me, it's an acknowledgement that everything changes because you could be in a really bad spot and be content. You know, um, certainly wouldn't be satisfied. <laughs> like you, like if you're in pain, you don't want to be satisfied. Sometimes bad stuff happens with business, you know, and you just have to be content with this is business, you know. But certainly wouldn't just lay down and be like, okay, I'm gonna let my business like stay here forever. Just, you know, yeah, you know, you're not gonna do that. So, so that's one thing. And then for me, there's like the you asked about drive, you know. So, and so for me, drive relates to whether I'm satisfied or content with a certain, you know thing or with my where I am at a, a point so for me there's three things so one is um, I'm pursuing freedom freedom is what I ultimately want I want freedom to lie in bed with my wife like for a week and not have to even get up you know or open the blinds you know I want to freedom to be able to read every single piece of paper my son brings back from school <laughs> You know, I can't do that today. You know, I want freedom to work in our garden and make it the best garden. You know, um, I, I want freedom. And for me, the freedom is more associated with time, with how I spend my time, more so than with the freedom to, like, buy anything I want. That's not what I want, and, or that's not the freedom I'm talking about. So that drives me. Like, I, I very much want that, and I want it in short order. I'm not talking about freedom when I'm 60. You know, I'm talking about freedom, like, very soon, you know, a couple years, single digits. Uh, the second thing is this acknowledgement that we need to leave the earth better in a better place than we found it. And right now, one of the ways to do that is through capitalism. Uh, I don't like that it's one of the best ways to do it, but I do believe it is one of the best ways to do it today. Better than nonprofits, better than 
you know, going on a mission trip better than the church. I think capitalism is one of the most efficient ways if it's if it's run by the right people, mm-hmm. you know. And I love Star Trek, you know, Next Generation, you know. And there's this one episode, you know, where um, these um, people from the 21st century were brought back, like they had, you know, frozen themselves, and they came back, you know, during. Um, you know they're on the starship enterprise and just just observing the culture shock between humans like three four hundred years from now and humans today was fascinating even though it was fiction you know um like the humans of the future were so perplexed by capitalism like so perplexed like it just didn't make any sense you know and the people from the 21st century were so perplexed by the lack of capitalism you know and just and then all the things that come from either having that or not having that so Capitalism is necessary today. You know, it doesn't always work, but in the right hands, it can be a very effective tool for affecting change, you know, in this world uh, today. And I believe that it's my responsibility to engage in that activity, you know, to make the world better for individuals, for people. Um, so you can see that in my one. Of, I have two companies. One of them is Relate. And Relate, you know, the first product was a relationship uh, chatbot, essentially with the goal of just helping people have better relationships, you know, with their partners, significant other, like whatever you want to call it. You know, it, it's it's a passion of mine for people to have better relationships because I believe the world will be better if every romantic relationship reaches its full potential. You know, whatever, whatever that relationship is, you know, man, woman, man, man, woman, woman, and everything in between. You know, we just need those relationships to be like top-notch, you know, 11 on a 10-point scale. Nice healthcare is about making healthcare better. Healthcare is like messed up today, like beyond belief. It's it's ridiculous, and you have millions of people in the industry that convince themselves that they're doing good work. Really, they're just hurting the country and hurting individuals by perpetuating what they're doing. So that leads me to my third driver, which is just good old fashioned revenge. You know, like a lot of people think I'm very genteel and polite, um, and I don't know. A lot of people think I'm nice. You know, and one of my previous employees, she corrected someone and she was like, you know, Thompson's not nice. He's just polite. You know, I'm not nice about these things I'm passionate about. Like, I want to tear down systems and there will be collateral damage. I mean, people will lose jobs. People will lose their homes, lose their cars. But I think we have to look at the greater good. You know, we can't have this industry, you know, uh, acting like a tapeworm on the economy. And also people are actually dying or in pain because it's healthcare. You know, there's no reason for that to be happening in this United States uh, of America. You know, so I want to tear those systems down and the people that are running them deserve to have what they've built and are maintaining taken away. And I'm going to do that to them. So those are my three drivers. (laughs) (laughs) Those are obviously incredibly motivating uh, things. Yeah. Healthcare has been an interesting and difficult thing um, for Amy and me, especially over the course of our careers. Uh, we've quit jobs that had health plans at different times. Uh, we've been doing this entrepreneurship thing for the last year and two months, which has proven to be incredibly uh, challenging in the sense of getting good healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were at jobs, we had decent deductibles that were relatively manageable. 
thank goodness, uh, well, I say this with a knee that is uh, swollen right now and having mm. issues, but but in general, we're both healthy. We're blessed to be to be healthy, so we don't really have prescriptions, things that we need, but we, every month, are paying hundreds of dollars um, a month just to, right now, not break the law, obviously, but also prevent ourselves from and our families from being bankrupted mm-hmm. if i get hit by a bus tomorrow if i have yeah. a cardiac condition yeah and then there's a whole other side of this i've been working out and just yesterday i was on set uh, on a video production and my knee just started swelling up and started hurting a lot and it, it hasn't happened in years so i'm a little freaked out about it so this is a good yeah. example yeah if i went in and got x-rays right now what maybe could that prevent down the line might I be able to get preventative care instead of something yes. that's going to get worse yeah. uh, over time? But I'm not going to because yep. we have high deductible plans. Yes. So <laughs> this has been my experience with healthcare uh, in a lot of ways, and it's one of the been one of the biggest burdens to building a, what I consider our own change making business, our own change-making platform to, mm-hmm. to be able to have these conversations as well. Yeah. What is it about that, that, that got you into healthcare? What is the kind of change you're, you're working on making with nice healthcare? Yeah. And, uh, and we got to get you an x-ray so we can do that. Like nice, we'll get you x-rayed right here in the comfort of your own home. So we'll take care of that for you, you know? Um, but I've, I've heard this story so many times. My wife had a similar situation, you know, with a different joint than her knee, you know, where if if healthcare was working the way it was supposed to, you know, would have sought care really early on, you know, and prevented some irreversible damage. You know, so with healthcare, it goes back to what I was saying about my parents. My parents' company is a healthcare company. Hmm. You know, so I've just always been in healthcare, like at the nitty gritty. I mean, at the I've seen they're in the home care business, so it's you know working with very elderly, sick, fragile people. You know, so I was seeing healthcare from that side. I was working in the finance area of the family companies, so I was seeing healthcare finance, transactions, claims, codes, like contracts, you know, all that stuff, dealing with different insurances in the state. You know, so I got a really, really strong um, introduction to healthcare that most people don't get, you know, very holistic. You know, but then I just started seeing the, the, the kinks, you know, in the industry, you know, these things that just weren't right. You know, healthcare, we spend three and a half trillion dollars on healthcare in this country three and a half trillion trillion dollars you know with a t with a t you know you you can't even talk about trillion like what's a trillion nobody knows what a trillion is you know you can't there's no analogies for that even make any sense you know because it's so big you could have a lot if you could just shave off 10 20 30 50 percent of that and we know that 10 20 30 50 percent of it is just being wasted or going to people's pockets, pure inefficiencies. You know, there's people getting rich. You look at jobs reports, you know, everybody celebrates, oh, you know, the jobs reports came in, the economy's doing great. Well, all the freaking growth is in healthcare. Like, who cares if, you know, job growth is 5%, but 90% of the new jobs are in healthcare, which are just going to increase your premiums for the people that have the jobs. So you're actually making less money. It doesn't make any sense. The healthcare crisis is the single most important thing we need to solve, like in this country. Like all of the other stuff that's happening, all of the angst and the division would 
dissipate or at least be significantly reduced if you could solve healthcare? Like, can you imagine? Imagine the average the average household. If you do all the math, really, directly or indirectly, twenty five percent of their income is going towards healthcare. Mm-hmm. What if you could give everybody a twenty percent raise, like everybody, twenty percent more income, and because healthcare costs less, you're getting the care that you need when you're supposed to get it. So you're healthier, you're safer, your mental health is better, you're less stressed out. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. You know, so that's why I'm so flummoxed and just honestly pissed off by the industry and the people in it perpetuating it and insisting that these incremental changes that they're that they're promulgating, parading around as innovation, is actually going to do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, we heard your story firsthand here. You know, and that that is a common common story, and people like you and me, we're not broke. You know, we have a house, we have a car, we're educated, you know, we've got a partner, stable. I mean, what about the people that aren't even at this level? It is such a crime what's happening today. It's a social justice issue as much as it is anything else. I'm obligated to create a solution that fixes healthcare and removes or punishes the people that are reigning terror on our nation today. It's disgusting. You talk about three trillion dollars and three and a half, three and a half trillion dollars, <laughs> which the uh, five hundred billion dollars is like the half you think it's easy to ignore. But that's five hundred billion dollars. Yeah, normally you can round up on stuff. You <laughs> on can't. A, you can't round tea, up. You cannot. <laughs> you round can't round <laughs> or down or yeah. down. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know, I have to think about the long-term growth of the U.S. economy, and that is having healthy workers, mm-hmm. people who are able to go back to work, which is yeah. what most people want. Yes, They want to go back to work and be able to provide for their families and, and do this stuff. But because we're not catching stuff early enough to actually be able to prevent things because people are afraid, I feel like, to, to, to go in because they don't know how much it's going to cost even, right? It's a surprise sometimes. Yes. You know so much more about this than I do, but just in my limited experience, I'm just imagining like, what if half, like you said, of that money was given back into people's pockets and people were actually healthier and there's more money and people were able to to go back to work sooner and available to to be there for their families and drive the... It's like the long-term vision of this. How can you not see how that would be what's going to take us to the next era of prosperity where humans are evolving and we're not going to evolve until we fix the healthcare thing you know we're not going to reach the next level you know we're not going to level up you know we're like it's like mario brothers and we're stuck on level one <laughs> you know it's you know it's like the most boring level there is anyways you know we haven't even gotten to bowser yet <laughs> you know yeah. we're, over, we're over here like robbing people you know past president future you're changing that Yes. And what is Nice Healthcare doing right now already yeah. um, to start solving some of this? Yeah. So when we describe Nice Healthcare to people, they usually look at us with this quizzical face because they don't believe that the words I'm saying could possibly be true. So first I have to describe what Nice Healthcare is. So Nice Healthcare is a clinic without any physical location. 
a primary care clinic without any physical location. And we can do anything a regular clinic can do. We can do labs, tests, x-rays, physical exams. You know, we can manage your chronic condition. Uh, we can do all that stuff. But we do it in a little bit different way. So what we do is instead of you coming to the clinic, you just pull up an app and you schedule a visit with us on your own time, your own schedule, and you have a chat visit or video visit securely within our app. And 70% of the time, we can resolve that issue uh, via video or chat. And, you know, half of all primary care visits need a prescription. So if you need a prescription, what we've done is we've looked at the most common prescriptions that are prescribed in a primary care setting. And we have those in our inventory and you get those for free. Not a sample, you know, like the full prescription. So imagine that you're on the video, you know, you've pulled up the app, you know, and we're talking to you and you're like, oh, yep, you definitely have a sinus infection, you know, and it's definitely bacterial. You need antibiotic. We'll have you that antibiotic the same day within a couple hours. No additional cost for the antibiotic, like none. I can see what you were saying about people not really, because I'm, you can't probably see me uh, while you were talking because the camera was on you, but I'm over here like grinning like an idiot because I just, that seems pretty amazing. It is amazing. And that's just the beginning of it. You know, so supposing that we can't solve your issue via video, we'll come to your house same day within an hour or two, and we'll do all the tests and exams and x-rays in your house. You know, no additional charge, no additional charge at all. Say we get to your house, and you, then we're like, "Oh yeah, you do need this antibiotic. You do need this drug." Then we'll we'll just hand it to you. We wouldn't we wouldn't have had to deliver it to you, you know. And we'll hand it to you at the end of the visit, no additional charge. Um, we're open on weekends. We're open on weekdays. We treat people of all ages, newborn babies, up to people in their 80s, you know. And the thing is, our costs that what we what we charge the patient cost is half as much as a regular clinic. So let's let that sink in, like. We're giving you free drugs, free labs and tests. There's no additional charge for anything. Labs and tests, we'll do all of them. No additional charge. We'll come to your house. Everything same day. Deliver prescriptions that we carry to your house. All of that at half the price as a regular clinic. And the way we operate is we operate under a membership model. So you just pay a fixed monthly fee, very affordable, and you have unlimited access you know, to this service. You know, and most of our customers come to us through an employer. So an employer will pay for the membership for their employees because it's so cheap. Like, why wouldn't you as an employer be like, hey, everybody that works here, you now have free primary care that comes to your house and they'll deliver drugs to you and they'll do the x-ray and the blood draws in your home. You know, uh, what employer wouldn't want to say that? You know, so we're growing rapidly. People love the service. Our net promoter scores like through the roof mm-hmm. you know, because people are just like just going crazy over this service. You know, so, and they're saving money on top of it all, half the price of a regular clinic. Hmm. So, so that is what Nice Healthcare is. And my co-founders and I, Genevieve and Allison, you know, we've uh, rebuilt this company from the ashes of the last one and it's going great. Hmm. So we'll make, we'll make sure that people are checking out Nice Healthcare and uh, learning more about that, especially in the markets where it's available, I I would imagine. And, uh, and that just sounds like such a, awesome solution to uh, the problem right now. Yeah, huge problem. You had mentioned earlier uh, how you want your days to look. One of my favorite quotes that I bring up uh, almost every other episode is the Annie Dillard quote, how we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives. Mm. And it is to me just the simple idea of the 
the small things we do each day become the blur of a life we, we look back on. Yeah. Uh, and so you'd mentioned wanting more freedom to spend your days in, in a way that allowed you to stay in bed longer or to be able to read everything that your kids bring home from school. Uh, how do your days look now? You're building mm -hmm. a company. You are spending time with family. What does a typical day look like for Thompson? Yeah. I, I'll admit it was much easier before we had children. You know, doing it with children adds an uh, incredible amount of complexity, you know, to the whole thing. You know, um, you could get more sleep, you could rest. There's just a lot more wiggle room, you know. So it's a lot different than it used to be. So on a high level, my wife and I switch off staying home with our second son. So our first son's in second grade, so he goes to school and he's there and some days are longer because he has karate and soccer and things of that nature. But even for him, like we've intentionally limited, significantly limited his activities compared to most of his peers. You know, we've said you can, you can, you can do two things, you know, two things. And even that sometimes seems like too much. We, sometimes we just say it's good for you to be home and just sit and be quiet, you know, and reflect, you know, and not always and not be programmed, you know, all the time. So it's a little sidetrack, but it makes a big impact on, the, on your day. You know, if you have kids, how much you program them. You know, so I get up very early, you know, and uh, my wife uh, requires more sleep than I do. And that's something that we've, I've just always done. You know, she gets to sleep as long as she wants. You know, that's just my, my husbandly duty, I suppose. And I'm honored to do that for her. And so I take care of the children in the morning. You know, you know they get up and, you know, I get their breakfast ready and get them ready for the day. And, you know, before we had kids, I'd wake up like around 4 a.m. You know, I'd do my workout. I'm big into resistance training and weightlifting uh, for its efficiency. It's just one of the most efficient ways to, you know, stay in shape. You build muscle mass and you're burning more calories at rest. Like there's just a science behind it that plays into my whole obsession with efficiency. You know, so lifting weights is like a must. Whereas cardio is to me is like secondary. Like cardio is it's inefficient you get all sweaty it takes a long time you know five mile run you know depending on how fast you're running that's like you know 20 to 40 minutes you know depending on your speed you know you got to cool off stretch take a shower you're like sweating in the shower so you gotta like wait i mean you it's know like, way after i always <laughs> get dressed too soon yep. after I do, yeah yeah so you just, you just like lose hours and hours of time whereas i got my weights i got my weights in my basement the full setup I go down there, and so now these days I, I can't get up. I I can't get up at four every morning because a my one of my kids gets up with me, so then I'm just like hamstrung, you know. Or they didn't sleep well in the night, you know, so I need to sleep a little later, you know. So these days, you know, getting up, you know, typically between like five and six, you know, getting up, you know, get the kids ready, and then a lot of times they work out with me. So for them, like working out with me is like a thing, you know. And I work while I work out, you know. So. I do a lot of my emailing while I'm working out between sets, you know, because that's to me, it's just very efficient. Like I'm not just going to sit there while I'm doing the set. And if my kids are with me, we play between sets, you know, so they like, they have their own little weights and they do their thing sometimes and play around. And then we like play tag in our basement. We have an unfinished basement. So we play tag between my sets, and, like next set, you know, then they'll watch me do my set and then we'll play again, you know, or I'll answer emails. You know, so I try and finish all that up, you know, by, you know, eight or nine o'clock, you know, the workout, getting cleaned up, getting the kids ready, all that kind of stuff, 
you know, and then on the days that I am not watching my son, you know, then it's just kind of meetings, you know, or planning and analysis strategy, like working on the companies, you know, pretty hardcore. Um, on the days that I do have my two-year-old, it's kind of intermittent. You know, I work during nap time. You know, I schedule a lot of meetings, recurring meetings during nap time. Um, or, you know, we go places where we're walking and running around and I can answer emails, you know, on my phone or, you know, have my AirPods in and have a quick phone call to hash out some business stuff, things of that nature. Uh, but definitely not as focused. And then to us, there's no weekend for my wife and I. So there's just uh, there's just days. Every any day could be the weekend, yep. and any <laughs> and any weekend could be a weekday. Yeah, you know. And so we actually like that flexibility that we can turn Wednesday into a weekend if we want to, or you know, or treat Saturday as if it's a weekend. We are limited by other people's schedules, of course. You know, the normal kind of pace and rhythm of the universe. So that doesn't always work. You know, but yeah, I do a lot of work on the weekend, especially on the second company, Relate. You know, a lot of work gets done on the weekend or in the evening because that kind of work just requires like sitting down and just a lot of quiet time. My wife and I share equally in household duties, you know, so um, I should say equally. I should say we do different things. Like I clean the bathroom like she does the laundry, you know, for some reason. That's just the way things settled out. in Division our Division of labor. Yeah. 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 You know, and I don't mind cleaning the bathroom and she uh, doesn't mind doing laundry. Um, you know, we all, we help with the household chores equally, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, pretty, I think normal for a modern family, nothing mm -hmm. spectacular there. Uh, we eat out a lot just for efficiency sake. You know, it's not the best thing, the healthiest thing, or even the most financially sound thing. But when you're running your own businesses, you know, time is money, you know, and you know, if she can be doing something and make like $2,000, like don't have time to make dinner you just you just buy the dinner for goodness sake so mm -hmm. i mean so we do do that to save time you know our kids go to bed around eight o'clock and lots of times my wife and i need to work in the evening you know but we haven't carving out more time to just like not be working you know after they go to bed and i have been lately i've been staying up later you know risking the two-year-old waking up or waking up early and not getting enough sleep uh, to write music and to write, you know. So it's like I, I know that the best time for me to write music and or write is like in the evening. Mm. Even though I'm a morning person and I'm not very productive like after like 2 p.m., you know, in terms of creativity, a lot of my creativity uh, comes like at night. Fascinating. You know, so sometimes I have to stay up late, you know, because – like I'm writing a song and just the cre it's just coming, you know, it's just everything's working out, coming together really well. And I could try it in the morning and I couldn't. But on business stuff, strategy, like I can like nail that stuff out like 6 a.m. I'm on point, you know, wow. with the company. So I've kind of been balancing, you know, staying up late, working on creative projects versus, um, you know, getting up early and working on business. Fascinating. Uh that's that's the uh, everything except for being a morning person <laughs> and getting up early. Uh, I've always struggled to to be clear minded in the morning. Mm. Uh, that's why we're sitting here starting at eleven a.m. Uh, yeah. because I get up at nine. I get up much later. We're usually up later till midnight, one, yeah, sometimes two, depending. But I found the same thing with with music, writing music, uh, creative projects. It's always in the evening. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that is. It's just a different energy. It is a different energy, you know, and even the time of year for me, you know, like I'm a, I love the fall and the autumn, 
and the kind of the magic that surrounds it. And a lot of my music writing happens like fall through early winter. You know, it's when I do a lot of that uh, music writing, whereas in the summertime and spring, it's more like writing, like, you know, handwriting in the book. And even the, even my, the book I've been working on, I'm, I'm writing it by hand, you know, versus typing it, you know, because I just feel a little bit more connection uh, with the material and just feel a little bit more, find it more easier to be creative, you know, writing it out by hand. Yeah. It's funny. One of, one of the guests from season one, Brooke McCallery, who's a two-time author, uh, okay. she she does a podcast called the Slow Home Podcast. Okay, and she said that too, and and it blew my mind a little bit. And now I'm hearing it again that that I can't imagine writing a book by hand. For me, I I think my brain sometimes struggles to to slow down enough to to just get it out, mm-hmm. and so I always end up typing. Uh, but I do think I write better by hand. Ah. But for me, it, it feels so much slower, and maybe yes. that's a good thing. But, yeah, that's that's interesting. So you I prefer writing good. by hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like journaling by hand, but I wonder if it's, that's the, if I should try more long form, you know. Yeah. Long form writing by hand. I have to ask about uh, the workout. I'm always curious, is there a particular program you follow or something that you got started on that sort of evolved or is there anything you follow or are you just doing what feels good? Um, so I'd say it's a mixture of doing what feels good versus kind of picking up tips and tricks along the way. Mm-hmm. And so I made a major change to my workout about two or three months ago. Mm-hmm. You know, So the resistance training anyways. Mm-hmm. For some reason I was watching something and then the on YouTube you know, there's videos that come after. So. I think it was Seth Rogen. Is that, I don't know who it was, but someone came on after some well-known guy, and he was talking about he had a Joe guest. Rogan, maybe Joe the, Rogan, the MMA guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's who yeah. it was. You know, and I I don't know who he is. It was my first exposure to him. You know, um, and he had this guest online that was just kind of you know blowing up the whole traditional workout, you know, and exercise and athleticism, and basically it was rooted in like flow theory. You know, where flow is that state where, you know, time goes by really fast and you could basically do it forever, you know, and, you know, your energy consumption and expenditure is like all kind of aligned and all that kind of stuff. And he was, he didn't say that, but what he was describing sounded like applying that to workouts. And and he said that you should never be sore after a workout. And he was like, and I know all you CrossFit people and all you gym rats are out there like hating at me and going, boo, like F you, You're like whatever. And he's like, you guys are all doing it wrong. He's like, screw you CrossFit people and, you know, and big, huge guys in the gym. You know, you're doing it wrong. And he's like, you should never be sore. And he gave all these examples like the Russian wrestling team and all these top athletes, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali, boxers and all this stuff where their workouts were by normal people's standards, like super light. Like, you would wonder, like, are, are they even working out, hmm. you know? And, and so I watched this thing. I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch it up because I've always been, I was in that school, you know, like you, you squat and you squat till you cry, you yep. know, free <laughs> And you can you not walk the next and day. And you can't yeah. walk the next day, yeah. you know, and if you can walk, you didn't do enough. I mean, so, so, um, so I've been trying it out. And what I did is is my previous workout, what I was doing, I'm really into compound resistance training, you know, so I don't, I don't do very many single joint, you know, weights, you know, so it's full body squats, you know, deadlifts, you know, calf raises, um, you know, shoulder press, you know, using my own body's resistance, so, you know, dips, you know, pull-ups, things of that nature, 
you know, the, probably the only single joint, you know, I do is um, arm curl. And so, and then my other, my, my long-term tactic was I just live to fatigue, you know, cause I have a tendency to bulk up really fast, faster than I want to, hmm. you know? And so, and like, it was just genetic. Like my brothers are all the same way, you know, like just huge muscular uh, frame if we wanted to, you know? And so I, I didn't want that, but I want, want, want to maintain a certain muscle mass. So I just do, do one set till fatigue. You know, so you can imagine, you know, some of my sets were pretty long, like my normal squat set. And I didn't lift as much as I knew I could. Right. You know, so like my squats, for example, since you asked, you know, squats, yeah. you know, my basic thing was 30 reps all in a row, no rest, uh, 215. Okay. You know, so not like super heavy, you know, but not super light either. Kind mm -hmm. of in between 30 reps, you know, pull-ups, as many as I could do, you know, um, one-legged all my all my leg workouts besides squats one legged you know like to make sure you know even development all that kind of stuff but i was always sore and tired mm -hmm. like i was always tired always sore and then but i felt like this kind of this macho kind I of know, sense i know there's something about like, that yeah like yes my pecs are like really <laughs> like, tight my uh, yeah. yeah my <laughs> hamstrings you know and so and so what i did is i cut everything in half cut everything in half and then do it every day is what I've been doing for two months. And how does it feel? It's been crazy. I'm not sore. I'm not tired. The workout's faster. Um, so it saves me time. And I'm stronger. And I've added muscle mass. Hmm. You know, cutting everything in half, not being sore. Like seriously, I'm sometimes I'm like doing the dips and I stop and I I, I don't even feel like I did anything. Did I do anything? Yeah. Yeah, did I do anything? You know, squats, cut it in half. I know I could go two to three times longer. It's been crazy. It's, it's working. So higher energy, no, not sore, getting stronger. You know, and I can tell I'm getting stronger because I can tell at the point where I'm feeling fatigue is like keeps on getting pushed out. You know, um, so I would recommend it to people to give it a try. I might. You know, if you're trying resistance training and, and I actually think it's probably safer. You know, uh, it's gotta be. <laughs> it's way it's safer. Be safer. Yeah, yeah, because I, can, I mean, as I've been getting older, you know, in some of the workouts, you feel the tendons and the joints and the recovery time is taking a little bit longer. Yeah. You know, and it's not macho. Your your body wasn't meant to do that. Yeah. You know, so I, I think it's actually better for me too. I always ask now because in uh, the beginning of the year, we Amy and I started doing more cardio, just getting back into fitness. I'd had a rough year before that, and I just kind of wasn't taking care of myself very well. And okay. And in March, a friend introduced me to strong lifts, the, the program around comp compound lifting. So okay. it, it's the five major compound lifts, uh, uh, deadlift, squats, yep. bench press, overhead yep. press, yep. Overhead. and uh, barbell rows. So the leaned yep. over, yep. pulling barbell up rows. for the, you know. Yeah, the yeah. lats, yep, all exactly, that stuff. Yeah, exactly. I love it. I love it. That's I all you need. That's all you need. Yeah. Uh, and I started doing that in March and I squatted for the first time in my, I'm 33. I squatted for the first time in my whole life this year. Oh, really? Yeah. I, Free weights. With the, the bar. The bar. All yeah. right. So I started, my friend put, he showed me the form and everything. He put the bar in like maybe uh, 50 pounds on the bar. So about 95 pounds or so. I went down and just like everything just went <laughs> like, like, oh no. And I was sore for two weeks after that, but I was hooked. Yeah. And I was, okay, so I can try this. I can do this. So I, I started doing the Stronglist program uh, and my squat over time uh, got up to about 135 
and then just uh, two weeks ago, I'm doing five sets of five at 275. Nice. And so it's been a slow, like yep. a little bit up, a little bit down. Yep. If I eat more ice cream, it goes up a little more. <laughs> and, you know, it's been amazing too. Um, seeing the relationship now, very the keen relationship between the food I eat and the results of oh, how yeah. I do. I've never seen such a, a close relationship between yes. those things before. So I've really enjoyed it. And that's why I'm always geeked out now. I'm always curious yeah. about what people are doing. And um, I've just, I've never been as strong as I am today. Uh, and that's something for me, that's something that's been really important and sig significant. But with the knee issue and things like that, I have to be more careful. And so yes. I am curious just about, I think I just learned this last week. I was doing some kettlebells with a friend and he told me about the Russian idea of, of greasing the groove. It, it's like, you're just you don't work out to exhaustion. You yes. just, every yep. day, you just do a little bit. And yep. just, yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. Now it it's is. coming back into my life again. So I think I'm gonna have, to, awesome. try, I I'm love have that. To, 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 to try that philosophy. I think that makes more sense to me. Yeah. Partially because for, for me, I'm, I don't know if it's the same for you, but for me, exercise and getting out of the house or just going into that space, it's such a mental clarity thing too, mm -hmm. of just feeling like I did that thing of, of, moving and connecting with my body in a way that that helps me in so many other areas oh too. absolutely yeah you know my wife tries to keep the kids away from it you know let me have some sessions by myself mm. you know um because yeah when i'm there alone you know there's this creativity you know that comes as you're focused on just working your body and investing in your body i, I read a study a little bit ago that found that you know people in their 80s that had exercised regularly, particularly resistance training, building muscle mass, you know, basically had the fitness of 40 year olds, you know, if they'd done it consistently, you know, throughout, you know, and because your body changes, you know, when you're adding muscle, it has to support it, the structures, everything. It's way more important than cardio, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, I can achieve the same physical appearance results by just modifying diet that cardio gives you. You know, without, you know, but it's hard to change your diet. I love pastries and donuts and cakes. Uh -huh. So, I mean, it's, it's hard. So, um, but yeah, we're investing in our future, you know, we're investing in ourselves when we're old, you know, and, uh, yeah, I want to be strong, you know, when I'm at old. Yeah, I can, I can relate. Yeah. The diet thing is hard for me too. Uh, I've always found it better when I can avoid sugar. Uh, I think, I don't know if this is real, but the idea of an endomorph versus, uh, you know, someone that puts on weight easily, I put on weight easily, um, not necessarily in the form of muscle. So that's yeah. been a line that I've had to figure out because yes. I'm bulking now and trying to add muscle in places I've really literally never had it. Uh, and, wow. and so I'm now figuring out what this can look like and what the diet needs to look like in order to do that and not be frustrated that my lifts aren't going up. And, yeah. Well, well I, was gonna, I could tell, I mean, when I walked in, I was like, man, this dude's like hitting the gym. Seriously? No, I could Get totally out. tell. Thanks, no, you, you can tell. I mean, not to geek out and be all macho, you know, but like something, something like admirable about a dude that, you know, is disciplining himself to work out, you know, and invest in his body. And you can see it. And it's not about sex appeal. It's not about any of that. You know, it's about discipline, you know, and there's some guys that can lift every day, all day, and they'll never add a pound of muscle, hmm. you know, but if they took the shirt off, you'd be able to tell you know, uh, for sure. So no, I mean, cause I haven't seen you, you know, in four years. It's been a, yeah, it's yeah. been a couple of years. Yeah. So no, so now, you know, you're just built like totally different. It's totally, <laughs> it's totally visible to someone who hasn't seen you 
you know, uh, on a regular basis. I appreciate that because for, for I, I really do because it it's hard for me to to even know if I f I know I feel different. No, but you look a lot different. Huh, funny, okay. <laughs> like way different. You know, like everything, like not just your face, like the shape and everything. It's like it's, it's someone that goes to the gym. You know, I, I appreciate it. I'm like, I, I may be tearing up a little bit right now just because like that, that means a lot to me and I, I appreciate it. Yeah. That's what I've been working on and trying to, you know, get there. But I can never tell. I, I to me, I look exactly the same yep. as I did. So. Yeah. Same, same here. Like, I, yeah, I know. It's oh, all, man. it's all good. And just one last thing with that flow thing. Like the last thing that guy said that was so amazing to me, he was like, okay, what if you have a guy, just think of any sport and you're practice, practicing some skill. You know, and but practicing the skill makes you sore and tired and exhausted, or even just lifting weights. You know, so, so say you rep ten times and you stop, and you don't even break a sweat, your heart rate doesn't get elevated. We do that every day. Mm-hmm. You 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 got seventy reps in per week. You know, compare that to the guy that can only work out one day a week, upper body or lower body. He reps, you know, twenty or thirty or whatever. You have like forty more reps on that guy, mm-hmm. like forty more. So you just like think about any sport. You know, how many shots, you know, at the hoop do you take? You know, 70, you know, or you only go to the gym once a day you know, or once a week, you know, and you take 30 shots. You know, you're just going to get better by sheer volume. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening, you know, with me and my experience. It's just a sheer volume, like for squats, and for example, I'm, I could only do it once a week, you know, so 30 reps all at once, no, no break. You know, now I'm getting uh, – now I'm getting uh, – I guess I'm getting like a hundred, somewhere around a hundred reps per week. Same yeah. weight, you know, yeah. but hundred, hundred. So it's like seventy more reps on a weekly basis. This, uh, it's so beautiful because because what you're talking about goes into this whole idea of the micro habit. The mm-hmm. the uh, I've always joked that if you're if you're starting out something new and you are too sore, too tired, too mentally exhausted or too yep. overburdened to do it again the next day yes you, it's you're not going to be able that that's you've missed the the thing mm-hmm. it should always start easier start smaller and and more frequently in yes this. and so you're you're like i haven't thought about weightlifting that way and you're you're reinforcing this for me right now so i appreciate that yeah i think so often we feel immense resistance to something that would change our lives substantially but it just feels so so big yes and feeling like well if i do two push-ups every day what really is that gonna do well if you did two every day this week i i bet you could do three every day next week next week yeah yeah and the same thing with diet too like you know my wife and i got really gotten to tim ferris's you know book you know um, slow carb you know and you know we did it a couple times it's just not sustainable right you get the results it works there's no lie like it works you know um and the thing I took away from the book is like, what's the one thing I can change that's like manageable? If someone who loves deeply has a passion for donuts and pastries and all this stuff, you know, and one of the critical things in the book was like, when you break your fast in the morning, you know, one of the worst things you can do for yourself is put off your breakfast and then also make that breakfast high carb, high sugar, mm. you know. And so, so for me, I found that just eliminating carbs from breakfast as often as I can has amazing impact on my health you know because by dinner time i mean i'm going to be eating that donut you know (laughs) you know all this kind of stuff you know but the 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 whole chemical breakdown everything that he goes through about eliminating it for breakfast 
you know, um, is enough to like produce results and maintain certain results, you know, that I want to see, you know, but there's no way I could give up carbs like every meal, you know, and eat like bloody beans and you know avocado. I used to swear off carbs completely, not avoid them completely, but like think that, okay, when I don't eat carbs, I lose weight. Yeah. And that was always my fitness goal. Mm -hmm. I just want to lose weight. I wasn't worried about getting stronger. I always gained weight easily. So it's like, okay, when I'm involved in fitness, my only goal is like, all right, drop pounds. Yep. This experience of this year has fundamentally changed the idea of if I build more muscle, I I will burn more calories yes. day and I, I'll feel better. I'll be stronger. Mm -hmm. Like I pulled my back, like lifting up a basket of laundry last year, you mm. know, and, and now I'm deadlifting, you know, 225 or whatever. It's not, wow. it's not what I, it's not what I, it's not great for my size and weight, but like it's an, it's an evolution, right? Yeah. And just the thought of that has been crazy, but now it's like, I'm learning. It's hard to build muscle without carbs. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, and these are these like small evolutionary things that, that I'm learning about how my body works and mm -hmm. how these things, it's just, it's just mind blowing. When you it get is. This stuff. I love it. Yeah. And it just, I love this transparency too, right? Like so many, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, you, you hear them talk and it's like, they're perfect. There's nothing wrong with them. You know, like, so like for me, like, like when I eat too many carbs and sugar, like I get like a belly really easily. Like I won't gain weight anywhere else, you know, except my six pack will turn into a one pack, <laughs> you know? So it's just like, it's like in my face, you know, and, yeah. and I can yeah. see the relationship between what I'm eating and, and uh, just, it, it's hard. I don't like vegetables. You know, I was happy there was a romaine contamination, you know. <laughs> Check <laughs> like, that one off for the next little yeah. while, yeah. Like, I'm, I, I just, I'm not eating any salad right now. Like, it's too risky. <laughs> like, that, I mean, talk about risk. Like, I, that's a risk I was very happy to avoid, mm -hmm. you know. So, I'm I'm with you. Like, we all have that thing, right? And it's just so hard. And some weeks I'm better than others. That's a, yeah, that, that's a perfect way to put it. Same same for me. As far as I go down this journey, I'm a guy that, that makes videos about habits and uh, I'm doing my best. Yep, is what is what I'll say. And there are weeks that are better than others. Uh, sometimes that I have more discipline around sugar, around different things. And sometimes I, I just like, it's like whatever. It's just right there, and I'm just gonna eat it, and this can be okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It was worth it. <laughs> it was worth it. Yep. You know, uh, it's just what it is. How do you foster, especially being at home, working from home? As, as we are in a similar capacity. Yes. Um, how do you mitigate distraction in your day-to-day -day life? And, and do you change your relationship with technology to do that? Yeah. I would say that for me, even though I wasn't familiar formally with this state of flow, you know, but I try, I've always naturally applied it to all areas of my life. You know, like some people are like, oh, work's over, shut it off. Like you can't even reach them. They're like inaccessible. You know, and I just don't and can't work that way. Mm -hmm. I'm more about a perpetual state of equilibrium, you know, and I want to stay in that state. And that equilibrium point might change depending on, you know, what's going on, you know, that year or that month. You know, but it's, it's a flow. So for me, the technology, we don't have a TV in our house, you know, so it's not like we can just plop down in front of the TV. We've just never really had a TV, you know, um, so I think that's helped us quite a bit. Uh, I personally don't like, I don't play video games. I don't play games on my phone. Um, social media is purely for business. 
you know, it's not like something I delve into because I enjoy it or because I get sucked in. I, I go there because I have some kind of objective. And so I don't get sucked into it. But I do check it frequently, you know, to stay relevant in the industry. You know, email, get a ton of emails, you know, um, and then text messaging is more friends, you know, than business. And I'm pretty much accessible anytime, but I do put down my phone at eight o'clock, basically. Mm-hmm. And I don't look at the phone. One of it is I'm I'm not a good sleeper, you know, so I have to be cognizant of kind of preparing for sleep. So I can't be looking at a phone screen, you know, too much before bed. And I need to be reading. I need to read like a physical book, mm-hmm. you know. To I was going to ask, is there a nighttime routine you've sort of to, to create that environment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So definitely putting the phone down and charging it, you know, at eight o'clock. You know, I might look at it every once in a while, but I really don't look at it much past eight. Mm-hmm. You know, um, sometimes my wife and I watch Netflix movies, you know, late at night in bed, you know, um, but that's not like an everyday of the week thing. You know, the music, you know, I'm sometimes writing music in the evening, but I always end the evening reading like a physical book, like actual paper and ink. Like I, I would consider myself an early adopter of almost all technology, you know, so, you know, I was part of the Smart Things Kickstarter campaign, you know, that I still have the same set of Smart Things devices from the Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't buy them, you know, from Samsung or anything like that. You know, um, you know, we have an Alexa, we have all this stuff. So definitely technology is a big part of our lives. You know, our, our car has a lot of technology involved with it. Um, you know, but we've always, we've always strived to not let it become a distraction. And what it gets really complicated with children, you know, so for us with our son, uh, what we've done for him is he doesn't get to watch like, programming on his on an ipod or ipad or something during the week but on saturday he can watch as much as he wants Mm. you know and our philosophy it might work it might not it's a grand experiment so our philosophy there is like you know like he if he's sitting there getting bored you know he can't just default to a screen you know ask for the screen like he has to like kick it old school you know think of something to do you know play with his toys, his games, you know, ask one of us to do something with him, something of that nature. Whereas on Saturday, he can just like completely disconnect and like just binge and like all he wants, you know. Um, and I, we've just figured that we think that the, the challenge of being creative outside of technology six days a week is worth the binging, you know, for 12 hours on Saturday if that's what he wants to do. He doesn't always get to do it because sometimes we have activities that we need to do. Um, he recently talking about habits um he was a finger picker like really bad biting his nails picking his fingers his skin all that kind of stuff he even had an infection mm. had to get antibiotic for like three weeks so my wife was like you know what if you stop picking your skin and your nails and everything uh we'll get you a video gaming system because he hasn't had one to date you know he doesn't even know really what it is you know and but he really wanted one especially he wanted the switch nintendo switch mm. you know he wanted zelda you know and he did it he developed a new habit or kicked an old habit. You know, my wife, we were like, okay, you go 21 days, you know, without picking, you know, and then we'll get you the thing. And we got him the thing, wow. you know, so technology was like a reward, you know. So now we're figuring out, okay, how do you fit in like the gaming system into the whole the model model that we have developed, hmm. you know. Uh, so it's it's tough, though. You know, my wife and I are on our phones a lot, and I'm I'm very cognizant of how off, how much we're on our phone. Now the iPhone tells you how much you're on your phone. And, yeah, like, sure, for me, like it's, like, almost all productivity 
you know, in the little bar down there. Uh, but it's still a lot, you know, and I and I wish it didn't have to be as much. So part of it is I almost see it as a season of my life too. You know, I I tell my son, he I'm like, look, I'm not playing on this phone. Like I don't I don't want to be looking at this phone. You know, and this phone is the path to freedom. You know, uh, freedom in very short order, where I don't have to have my phone with me. Yeah, the the model you're describing, it, it, it's uh, like this low carb diet kind of mm-hmm. is, which is funny. It I'm, is, I, yeah. That's what popped into my head. It's like six days of discipline and not allowing yourself to to twitch, mm-hmm. to to just fill the space. Yes, uh, I always say that the twitch is the thing that that is like a, a sponge that absorbs all of your in between moments. Mm-hmm. And it's when you feel the discomfort and you just scream. Yep. Is a solution to that discomfort. The boredom. Yes. The hunger. Yes. And so it's interesting. I think your experiment in my brain seems like a really good one in that it makes sense to me that, all right, you have your fill, you have your day. Yep. Eat whatever you want. Yep. (laughs) And, uh, And then the other days you stay focused, disciplined, knowing that, all right, no, I'll have my time. Yep. Yep, that's that's very yep. fascinating. Yeah. yeah, and when you say it like that, it just I hadn't hadn't even thought about it. It also creates kind of this kind of uh, management of future benefit type of thing, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, waiting, you know, for something versus getting it right away. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, having that to look forward to, and yeah. then feeling a little sick because you ate too much sugar. <laughs> yeah. Yep, which he does. Right. Yep. At yeah. the end of the day, he was like, I feel like I didn't talk to anybody. You know, I was like, now let's play, you know, let's do something, you know, on Sunday, you know. So That's it's uh, the, the really crazy part about that is that I think that when we don't limit ourselves and we're just in that mode all the time, you don't feel it. Nope. You don't feel the, the you're you're disconnected between that feeling of like the psyche of, oh, my gosh, I didn't do anything with anyone today. Or I, I yep. didn't I didn't connect with myself in any way. Today. Yes other than this external thing. Yes. Um, but when it's isolated to a single day, all of a sudden you have a, a clear comparison to how you're feeling, what yes. you did, and, and a way to analyze that. Yes. And that's uh, that's interesting. I like that. Wow. Huh. I'm feeling better about this experiment. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I think it's a smart one. Um, all right. Well, let's... Um, I've just been really enjoying this conversation and I would love to uh, do a question with you if you wouldn't mind sure. grabbing a question out of that bowl right there. All right, yeah, so if you don't mind reading the question and in the name of, of who uh, wrote it. Sure. Uh, the question is, what is your end goal and when will you know when you achieve it? Andy George. Oh, so that's Andy from the YouTube channel How to Make Everything. Okay. Uh, which is a fantastic channel all about him making a suit from scratch, like <laughs> really? growing, shearing from scratch. Uh, he made a sandwich from scratch also, took him six months and $1,500. Whoa. Fascinating YouTube channel. He's a previous guest on the show. So uh, that's his question. Okay, so what is my goal and how will I know uh, when I've achieved it? So, um, end goals. It's a couple of goals. So in regards to my goal of freedom, you know, so I said there's like three things, right? There's freedom, there's, you know, changing the world, and then there's, you know, revenge. So with freedom, I'll know I've achieved it when I don't, my time is not in any way tied to income. You know, like there's zero, it's completely severed. You know, it's not that I'm super wealthy. It's just that there's no correlation between time working and income. 
you know so therefore i can do what i will with my time and i'll and i'll know i'm doing that because i'll be hanging out with my wife my kids writing music and writing books you know and volunteering you know i'm giving back uh when it comes to um you know an impact on the world i'll know that i've achieved it when our company has been the inspiration or maybe even the direct cause of systemic change in the healthcare system, whether it's a policy change, you know, or a regulatory change or something like that, you know, because uh, sure, we're changing lives right now, like we're already doing that, and I could be satisfied with that, you know, but we're changing lives on the periphery, we're changing lives in spite of the way things are. We haven't actually changed the fabric of the healthcare industry. And then when it comes to revenge, uh, this one I've kind of joked around with people. Uh, I'll know it when, you know, some companies go out of business. You know, that's, that's basically what I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, revolution. Revolution. Or they completely change and they're not the same company. Mm-hmm. Same name, maybe, same colors, but they just operate completely different than they do today, unrecognizable. A forced model change because there's something better, yes. more effective, yeah, more efficient. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. Thompson, where can people find you and what you're working on online? Sure. Uh, so I'm on Twitter, pretty active, you know, at, at Thompson Adder on Twitter. Um, LinkedIn, I'm also active. I respond to almost every message, you know, so I have an open profile so you can see how to contact me there. Nice.healthcare is the URL for Nice Healthcare. You know, and relate today is the relate today.com is for relate. Perfect. Thanks yeah. so much for joining me. Yeah. It was a pleasure. Pleasure to have you on. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me. All right. And that concludes our conversation with Thompson. I really took away some great things from this conversation, and I hope you did too. If you did enjoy this episode, it would mean the world to me if you took a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. Those kinds of things really help podcasts like this one get seen, and I would greatly appreciate it. You can find links to all the things mentioned as well as additional information about this episode and the full-length video of the conversation at breakthetwitch.com slash podcast 015. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, and we will see you next week.